Okay. Oh my goodness, this thing is loud. I told Tammy that I typically don't ever use a mic when I speak because I'm naturally extremely loud. So, um, yeah, this might take a little time. Um, those of you guys that don't know me, um, I am Jeannie Blasey, better known as Rick's wife. Um, uh, and uh, we have been here at Hickory Grove for, I don't know, maybe five months. Um, and uh, we are jumping right in and have been completely blessed um, by the people here, um, the love for the Lord that we see in, in the body here. And uh, so we're very grateful to be a part of Hickory Grove. Um, when Tammy came to me about teaching, I immediately was like, um, seriously, I'm typically used to talking to teenagers. I did youth ministry for 18 years, and so I am good with 18 and under. Um, I can talk to teenagers. I, they get how dorky I am, because I, I am extremely dorky. Um, they get my jokes, um, and so when she said, oh, we want you to speak at a bite, I was like, seriously, those are my peers? Like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that, and then I got the topic, and I thought, heavens to Betsy, what in the world am I going to do about this? Um, isn't it awesome how God has a sense of humor, and sometimes the things that he gives us are not maybe what you need to hear or study, but Definitely what I needed to look over and go through um, because sometimes I don't look at things the right way. Um, shoot, I need to pray first, so I'm going to pray. I forgot about doing that. Um, let me pray, and then we'll get going. Okay. Uh, God, thank you for this day. I do thank you for this time um, that I can come before these ladies. I do pray, Lord, that you would um, use me, Lord, and I pray that nothing that I say would be in and of myself, um, but only what you would have me to say. I, I know that nothing that I have to say has any merit or value, only what you have to say. So I pray that we would look at your word and understand how powerful your word is and where we can look at your word and understand exactly what the priorities need to be in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that we would do that today and that you would use me um, as a vessel for you, Lord. I love you and praise you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, I look at a lot of times from the world's view of somebody's got their priorities in order and we think about um, do they keep their house clean? Uh, do they uh, have meals planned for the entire month? I'm terrible at meal planning, just being real honest. Um, and I'm sitting there going, I'm such a hot mess. Like, these women don't need to hear from me. And then as I started to study and understand and look at the word, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so not about any of that. Um, because the word is very clear about what our priorities should be. Um, I'm going to read this scripture, and then we're going to jump into it. I am... I like to talk a lot, so I may skip over like the blanks. I'm, I've got it here, so I'm going to try to remind myself to make sure I'm telling you what blanks to put in, um, to fill in. But yeah, I'm terrible about it, and I hopefully will not. If, if I skip over something, just wave your hand at me, and I'll tell you what to put there. Um, but the scripture tells us um, in Mark 12, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There was a professor who started his semester off with his new class, and he had this big glass jar on his, on his table, and he brought out this you know, bowl of these pretty good-sized, handful-sized rocks. And he said, um, he started putting the rocks in, and as the, those little boulders started filling this glass jar up, he said to the class, do you think the jar is full? And the class is like, yeah, you can't put any more rocks in it. Yeah, it's full. So then he reached under his desk and he pulled out 
smaller rocks. And he started filling those holes with those smaller pebbles. And he said, do you think it's full now? I feel like this thing is falling off my face. Um, and he, they said, yeah, I think it's full, but now that you've done that, maybe you can put some more stuff in there. So the next thing he brought out was sand. So he pours sand, and of course sand's going to fill in every single crack. And he said, do you think it's full now? And they were like, well, probably going to put something else in there since you keep putting things in it. So he pulled, pulled out water. And he says, do you think it's full now? And the students were like, yeah, you're not getting anything else out of that. And he goes, why do you think I did this illustration for you? And one kid was like, to show us that even when we think our life is so full that we can still cram more things into it. And he's like, no, that's, that's not it. That's not the, the reason that I'm, I'm telling you this. And another kid was like, well, uh, you know, maybe everybody needs to drink water before they put rocks in. We don't know what you're doing. And he says, no, what I want you to understand is if you don't put those big rocks in first, then they're not going to go in. So the big rocks got to be your biggest priorities. They've got to go in to the jar first. Because if you put all the pebbles in the water and the sand in first, there's no room for the big rocks. So we've got to make sure that we're putting the big rocks in first in our lives. And we're going to talk about what those four big rocks should be. Um, a lot of you guys uh, might have done the homework. I'll be honest, like last week was my week of spring break. My daily agenda would have been sit by the pool, sit on the beach, eat ice cream, take a bike ride. I mean, seriously, it would have been really bad if I came in here and showed you guys my daily agenda from last week because everybody would be like, she's the laziest person alive. Um, but I think that it is a great tool and that you probably, when you do prioritize your time and look at how you spend your time, it is very eye-opening. Um, you, you see where you waste your time, you see where your time is spent, and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to do better with this. Um, and so hopefully that tool was a good help for you and that you did it and you learned um, where your time is wasted and where your time is, is not wasted. Um, so there's a quote I want to read you, and I put it on here um, on your sheet. It says, um, it's C.S. Lewis, and it's tiny print because I was trying to fit everything on here and still leave a little bit of room if you wanted to jot down other notes. And so, yeah, it's tiny. So I may have to lean in very closely. It says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now, insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God, and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased, meaning that when we put the right thing first, those second things, they're not going to be suppressed. They're going to increase. If you put the Lord first, then you're going to be able to love your spouse. You're going to be able to love your children. You're going to be able to do ministry. You're going to be able to do, be effective in your job or whatever you do. But if we're not putting God first, then all those other things are not going to line up the way that they should be. Our youngest son, Jesse, is 10. He just turned 10. Jesse is dyslexic, so that means he does everything weird. <laughs> his mind works completely different. It's amazing. Um, he could not figure out how to tie a shoe. Y'all, I swear, I think he was in the third grade when he finally figured it out. Dyslexics struggle with uh, directionality. They can't understand left and right. Um, he, if you told him to go left on, when he was playing football, he was, my husband would be like, throw it to the person on the left. And I'm like, he doesn't know his left. He doesn't understand. Tell him to throw it to Jimmy John over there, and he'll get it. But he couldn't understand direction. So he comes in as a little boy every day, you know, 
on Sunday. Only on Sunday because he's not wearing a button on a shirt unless it's Sunday because he didn't like buttons. So he would come in as a little boy, and <laughs> still to this day, um, and his shirt, y'all, is all jacked up. Like, there's buttons, like, gaping open. The top is, like, all messed up. So I'm like, son, you have to start with the top button. He starts every time with the bottom. And I was like, when you start at the bottom, your shirt is never going to line up. If you start at the top, then the buttons are going to line up. As you go down, you find the next hole, find the next button, and you're going to have it all in line. The same thing goes for us. Our top button has got to be our relationship with God. And if we get that top button on right, then those other buttons, we're going to be able to line those up in a much better way, and we're not going to look like Jesse on a Sunday morning with our shirt all messed up. So remember that. So the first thing is the most important priority that we have to have in our life is our relationship with God. We read the scripture that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest commandment to us. The greatest one is to love him like that. How do we make our relationship with God the number one relationship and priority in our lives? Anything we do in life is because of a habit or something that we've created. Um, whether it's a diet that you do. Hello, any Whole30 people out there? I did that. That's pretty tough. Whole, that whole thing, Whole30 thing was not easy. Any kind of exercise that you discipline yourself to do on a, on a daily or weekly basis. My husband used to be a nail biter. When he quit biting his nails, he said, I, I'm going to not bite my nails for 30 days. And if I can do it for 30 days, then it won't be a habit. Um, that, it'll, that it'll be a habit. And he, he quit. You may have the, the discipline of every morning you get up, and I'm making my bed every morning, and I'm starting my day off right. Anything we do in life that we're successful at is because of discipline in our lives. When I was in the third grade, I touched a basketball for the first time, and I knew that I was going to play Division I college basketball. And I set a goal as a little bitty girl, which is so crazy. I mean, what 10-year-old thinks about something like that? I don't know. But I did. And I was so disciplined through middle and high school to do anything I had to do to get that goal. I was a, goal, a list maker, a goal setter. I wrote down my workouts. I wrote down the goals that I wanted to achieve. I woke up early. I was really so disciplined in my athletic life. I was so disciplined that as an unbelieving high school girl, I never once went to a party. I never once drank anything. I never smoked a cigarette, not because I was this holy roller or a good girl. It was because I was disciplined. I'm not going to mess up my chances to go to college and play basketball. That outcome of me getting a scholarship and my parents not having to pay for college um, was because of my discipline in my life and the grace of God in my life because the Lord led me to a school that was a Christian school where I ended up getting saved. Um, so anything that we do that we do well at is because we're disciplined. Um, spiritual disciplines are imperative in our Christian walk. You may say, well, I shouldn't have to dis discipline myself to walk with God. Um, it should just come naturally since I'm a believer. Um, we are fallen sinful people. I mean, we really are. And we have to discipline ourselves. It's healthy. It's helpful. There are some great books on spiritual disciplines out there that you can read that will give you different things that you can do to discipline yourself in your relationship with the Lord. It's healthy and it's helpful. Okay, so the first one is study. Okay, that's your first blank, study. Set time to be in the scriptures and study in the word. Get a good reading plan. Y'all, there are enough apps out there that you shouldn't even have to 
one, you don't ever go to the Christian bookstore and buy some reading through the Bible plan. The church gives them out for free. Um, the app, it's on the app for free. You can find a great reading plan. Um, I probably say it wrong, but I do the Machaney, um plan. I love it. I go on there. I read four or five chapters a day. Some days I listen to it while I'm in the shower. Um, it's great tool for reading the scriptures. Um, also, get you a good theologically sound devotional. Do not get some fluff devotional. Get you something good, something that's got some substance to it. I love to add to my Bible reading a good devotional. I love um, Paul David Tripp's New Morning, New Morning Mercies. It's a phenomenal book. It's just a great tool to have to go alongside my scripture reading. But find something that's theologically sound so we're not filling our head with untruths. And then pull the scriptures apart. Look at those scriptures. John Piper does an amazing thing on, um, sometimes he'll video them. Y'all, I am terrible at grammar. I mean, if y'all could come up here and look at my notes, y'all would be like, oh my goodness, because it's like dot, 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 something, 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 dot, dot, dot. Um, I'm terrible at grammar, but when I started homeschooling my kids, I homeschooled my oldest sixth and seventh grade, I had to teach them grammar. And I'm like learning things about the English language. I'm like, I had no idea. Like, I don't know what I did in middle high school and college. I have no idea why I didn't learn these things. It was like all this stuff was coming out. And I'm like, I never knew that. But I learned how to dissect and take apart sentences and what words meant. Well, John Piper does this amazing thing where I call it, and I probably say this wrong too, because my husband says it differently, but I call it annotating. Um, he calls it annotating. Um, but I call it annotating, maybe because I'm Southern. And Am I right? Thank you. He's wrong. Tell him he's wrong. So um, he annotates the scripture, and he shows what the words are there for. He circles. He goes back. And it is a tool that we ended up using with our teenagers. Um, we, we set up a book for them, Disciplines for Them. Um, to help them in their Christian life for our youth group. And that was part of it, was annotating the scripture every day, taking and, and writing and what it means to you and what do you see this means and what is this verse pointing back to. It's a phenomenal tool. You can Google John Piper annotating scripture and there's videos and he's explaining it. It's very good. So use those tools um, instead of just sitting and flipping open your Bible just haphazardly, study the word. Because if we're not studying the word, we're going to know him. If we don't know the word and we're not in the word, we're not going to know him. The second thing is consistently spend time with the Lord. But find a spot in your house. Find a chair. I had a chair back home in Georgia, and now it's in my bedroom, but it was downstairs by my front door, and I loved it, and I could look out the window, and it was my favorite place to have my quiet time that I could commune with the Lord. You're going to have distractions. I mean, so how many of you have children running around your house? You're going to have distractions if you don't get up at 5 a.m. And some of you may get up at 5 a.m. and still have children up at 5 a.m. Um, but try to find, I mean, they call it a quiet time for a reason, uh, but it's rarely quiet. Um, but try to find that time where you can commune with the Lord. And there's going to be distractions, but just let them go. Just continue to do it, do the best you can, or do it before they wake, before you go to sleep. Um, but don't let those distractions stop you from meeting with him. And I encourage you to, to, to write down your thoughts. Um, it's so neat for me to look back over journals. I had a journal when I was um, about to meet Rick. Um, we were set up on a blind date. And I had written in my journal before I even met him. I was praying for him by name, which I spelt his name wrong because I didn't know it didn't have a K on the end of it. Um, so I was, I was praying for another Rick. I don't know who it was. Um, but um, I was praying for him, and it's so neat to look back. And the night that I met him, I remember going home, 
reading through my scriptures and writing at the bottom, you finally opened my heart, Lord. And I, it was the first date, and I still have that journal that I can look at and think, golly, how neat is it to see how God worked that out? But write down your thoughts. It is neat to look back. And then dig deeper, okay? Listen to podcasts. There are so many tools out there for us. Um, Al Mohler in the briefing. I don't know how many of you guys listen to him. He is phenomenal. If you want to stay current on certain things going on in our society, in our country, in the world, um, whether he just gives this great, fresh perspective on how Christians should view the current events of our day. It's 15 or 20 minutes long. It's fantastic. Um, I love listening to him, and he is a very easy listener. There's also a podcast called Sheologians. Okay, there are these two girls. One of them's her dad is James White. He's an apologist. Um, they talk about theology. They talk about really deep things. They talk about current things. They've talked about feminism. They are. They talk about abortion. They. They're phenomenal. They are a little irritating, though, I will admit. They're, the way that they talk kind of irritates me because they're, they're young, and, and they just say stuff sometimes, and I'm like, that's so stupid. Why do they keep saying that word? Um, which is probably what you're thinking of me right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But they are great. Um, and then Tim Challies is another great blogger that he is, gives a very great, fresh perspective on so many issues that we're facing today. He also does a lot of book reviews. If you're wanting to read a book, and you're like, I don't know if this book's right, Look at his blog, and then he'll, he'll give you a very great um, review of those books. But don't just settle for being a surfacey Christian woman. Delve deeper into the truth and get in there and understand and know what you believe and be able to talk about it with your friends, with your husband, because they are important things for us. So the first one was study. The second one is prayer. Organize your daily prayer time. My husband, when he made that book for the teenagers, gave me the greatest tool that I've ever used, and it was a little calendar on a spreadsheet, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you put people in those columns, whether the first day, Mondays, I would pray for my family. Tuesdays, I prayed for our church and our staff. Wednesdays, I prayed for our teenagers. I still pray for our teenagers on Wednesdays. Kids that grew up in our ministry. Thursdays, you pray for your enemies. Um, people you don't like, you got to pray for them. Um, so I would do that. Um, and it was such a great tool for me because sometimes my prayer life would be all kind of all over the place and I wouldn't consistently pray. But when I made that graph and used that table, it was amazing. And you can also keep a journal. Um, I loved a prayer journal. Um, I would write down people that I was praying for. And then when that request got answered, whether it was the way they wanted it or the uh, different way that the Lord chose to, to answer that request, I would mark it off. And sometimes I would write next to it what God had done. Um, and it's so neat to go back and look at that. So that was the second thing was prayer. The third thing is worship. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Mary and Martha. This was in your study um, this past, um, over the past two weeks. It was part of what we um, learned about Mary and Martha. Um, and the Bible tells us about these two sisters. Um, and they were loyal friends of Christ. And when Christ went to their home and visited them, they wanted to serve him in the way that they each thought was most important. And so the story says, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. And who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell, me to help you. tell her to help me. 
And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, and I always think about Marsha, 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 Martha, Martha. And, and Jesus always said their names twice when he really wanted them to understand something. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Serving others, this is a blank, is highly commended in the Bible. Okay, that's part of our worship is serving others. Um, it's highly commended, and it is not wrong to serve. But in this instance, priorities were an issue. Her priority was what? Serving. Her priority was fixing the meal, making sure the things were ready, making sure the house was okay. She was worried about the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, listening to Christ's teaching was more important than food preparation. And when you really look at it that way, you think, oh my goodness. Yeah, it is more important than fixing food. Listening to Jesus himself sitting there at his feet is far more important. When we come to worship, which we should do, we should gather together for corporate worship. There is nothing sweeter than being in your church um, when the doors are open. We, we were dubbed church rats in Georgia because if the door was open, and which we have keys, um, was all the time. Um, we were there because we wanted to worship with the church. We wanted to commune with other believers. And it was something that we loved to do. But we have to be very careful when we're looking at how, would, how do we worship. Is it just by serving? Is it just by doing? Is it just by singing? Is it just by working down in the, the basement with the children, which we should do too. Um, but what are, what are we focused on when we come to worship? Are we focused on all these external things? Are we focused on sitting at his feet and learning and gleaning from the, the scriptures? And that's what we should be doing. Um, that's what part of our worship is. John, the apostle John, gives us this answer. He says, "For the, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It should not be a burden to keep his commandments. Now, the commandments, okay, we're not bound to the commandments. We're not bound to the law, but they are given to us, okay, as a gift and a tool for us to use. So we are to keep those commandments, but they are not to be burdensome. The evidence that we love God is our striving to keep those commandments. Are we daily trying to do those things? Are we daily in, in his word? Are we daily trying to keep his commandments of loving him, loving our neighbor? He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments. Okay, we read through First John, y'all, when I was, I don't know, three years ago. That was our annotating scripture that we went through. And I, like, had no feet after I went through that scripture because my toes were stepped all over. It was such an eye-opening book for me. But it says, he who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Okay, that's plain and clear. If we're keeping his commandments, um, and, but if we say, oh, I know him, but we're not doing what he says, we're liars. We are liars. But... If we keep his word, the love of God is perfected in him. We need to be honest with ourselves. Are we putting our personal relationship with God first? Are we allowing all these other aspects of our lives to take precedence over him? It's easy to get bogged down and busy. There is a great book that I do encourage anybody that's in any stage of life because we're all busy. And I, it's Kevin DeYoung, and I believe it's called Crazy Busy. It's a very short book, but it's a very... It's a very good book on how to prioritize your life and how not to be crazy busy doing things that don't matter. 
So that's a good one. But we got to think about, you know, are we allowing other aspects of our lives to come before the worship of the one true God? And if we are, then that's a dangerous place to be. <clears throat> um, oh, hold on. Let me get back to my thing. It says, putting anything else before God is idolatry. Okay? If we are putting our home, our husbands, our job, our physique, which obviously I'm not, um, any of those things before God, then we're in trouble. Okay? That's idolatry. Um, if when I was uh, an athlete, like, I got saved when I was a sophomore in college, and I was, like, at this place where I was, like, that was my idol. Basketball was my idol. If I had a bad day, I went out and shot shots. If I was upset with my parents, I went and ran a couple miles. Um, it was my idol. But when the Lord saved me, I had to lay that idol down, and then I began to use that gift that he had given me in the game of basketball for the gospel. I would share the gospel. It took me overseas. I did all these great things because of my former idol. So we got to lay those idols down. Nothing can come before him because then it's idolatry. And we need to be very careful about that. Invest in your relationship with the Lord. Nothing good comes easy. Nothing. Okay. There is blood, sweat, and tears in everything that we get to, so, to get to something good. Um, I took our kids skiing several years ago. <clears throat> and I had this job of teaching Shelby how to ski. Um, Shelby is the most uncoordinated human being that has ever been birthed, okay? Um, and so she's maybe six, y'all, and I'm trying to teach her how to ski. It's a blizzard, okay? And we're going down this mountain, and she falls, and her skis come off. And she steps up, stands up in the snow. There's six inches of snow packed onto the bottom of her boots. I'm having to wipe it off, put her back in her skis. She skis five more feet, falls. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I told her at one point, I'm going to throw you off this mountain, okay? I am done with you. I cannot do this anymore. I did that for three hours. And, I mean, I, she's falling. She just gets right back up. And I'm over there sweating, and it's like 20 degrees outside, and I'm pouring sweat. I'm stressed out because she can't get it, and we're, you know, falling and getting up, falling and getting up. But she is not quitting. She is like, I'm going to figure this thing out. We ski into, uh, down to the lift to go in for lunch, and there's a ski instructor in line. Well, Shelby falls in the line. And when she falls and her skis come off, the instructor looks at me and he said, hey, you need to go get her bindings tightened. Her skis shouldn't be popping off like that. And I looked at him. I said, I'm about to lose a child because I've done this all day long. He says, go get her bindings fixed. It'll be different. We came out after lunch, y'all. Our kid, I mean, she was skiing like a champ, quit falling. Never, I had never had to put her ski back on. And she's like, Mom. I can ski. I can do this. And I mean, by the end of the day, now, she wasn't going down black diamonds, but she was going down some hard slopes. But it took all that hard work, all that falling and getting back up, falling and getting back up, falling and getting back up, and me wanting to chunk her away to get to where she was like, this is amazing. Same thing happens. If we don't invest in our, in our relationship with the Lord and we don't put effort in every one of these priorities, if we don't put the effort in and we don't invest, then there's not going to be a profit. There's not going to be anything good that comes from it. We've got to put that time and energy into it. Our value must come from Christ and Christ alone. If there's nothing else you get from this today, <laughs> this is the hardest thing for us to understand. Our value is not in our homes. Our value is not in how good of a mom we are. Our value is not in 
how wonderful we are at our jobs. Our value is not in any of those things, but it is in Christ and him alone. And if we don't find our value in that, when all these little things don't go well, that's when we fall apart. But if we know whose we are, then we can keep those things in order. We may fail, but it's okay. We're not perfect human beings. But we got to remember our identity is in him and not anything that we do. And the quicker we learn and understand that, it's going to help all the other things fall into place. Second thing is your role as a helper to your husband. There is only one person on earth that you are called one flesh with, only one, and that's your spouse. And that's from Genesis 2, 24. And it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This shows us the preeminence of the husband and wife relationship above all other relationships, above your relationship with your mom, your family, your children. The only relationship that it is not preeminent over is your relationship with the holy God. So we've got to understand this is a very important relationship. Okay, he wouldn't have said, taught, used the words that he did if it weren't supposed to be held with such high esteem. And we have seen that throughout Heidi's teaching about what a covenant is and what that looks like. This is a very important relationship. And our only second to God is our, we have to be that helper to our husband. First thing is, is um, your marriage should model the gospel. The greatest privilege of marriage is reflecting the Savior. Um, our husbands reflect Jesus' love as he serves and he sacrifices for our good. We, uh, the wives, reflect Jesus' love as we humbly submit um, to the will of the husband and look forward to the exaltation that's to come. Marriage is unique, okay? It is very unique, and it is a wonderful stage filled with opportunities every day to reflect the glory of Jesus, to reflect the gospel. That must be our goal in this. We are a picture of Christ in the church, Christ and his bride, okay? And that's what we should be doing in our lives and the people around us is that we should be modeling the gospel to the world around us and make it a beautiful picture. Time is key, okay? Time is key. Spend time with your husband. Guess what? Some of you in here know your children grow up and they move away. And what are you left with, okay? Are you left with somebody that you don't know, that you don't have a very good friendship with, and that you kind of have to figure things out over again? Or are you married with somebody that is your best friend and that you laugh with and have fun with and you do things with? Time is so important. Your kids are going to leave. you got to date your husband. you got to talk to your husband. Um, I love my husband. He is so much fun to be with y'all. And we are so crazy. My husband has gotten me to do the craziest things. I have jumped off a tree attached to a harness and like slid 250 feet down a line. I have ridden down rapids in a life jacket. I have, uh, I'm trying to think of, I've got skied down on black diamond, which I've only done a couple times because I'm like, I got four kids at home. I ain't doing this again. Um, I have done the silliest things just to be with him and just to have fun with my husband. He's adventurous. Now, he did jump out of a plane, and I was like, I'm not doing that. You can, you can have that on your own. I'm not jumping out of a plane. I'm only jumping out if it's going down in flames. Um, so, but spend time with them. Find things that they like um, and do that. Um, my husband bought me golf clubs, y'all, eight years ago, and I don't play golf. 
I have never, had never played maybe putt-putt, but that was it. And he was like, I want you to play golf with me. And I was like, okay. And so we went, and y'all, I loved it. It is so much fun. And we, we were going through a really difficult time in ministry at that point. Our lives were, were difficult. And uh, when we went, we went and played nine holes, and it seriously took like four hours, which is way too long for nine holes. Um, and uh, we, we talked about golf. We didn't talk about our kids. We didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about anything, but what club should I use? How far do you think that hole is away? Why do I have to rake the sand pit every time I hit it in there? You know, those were the questions that things we talked about. It was glorious, and it has become our favorite thing to do. Um, I started playing Frisbee golf. Y'all, I'm terrible at that. Horrible. I'm horrible at golf, too, but I'm horrible at Frisbee golf. But I play because, number one, my kids like it, but so does my husband. And I want to spend time with him and do things that he enjoys and so that's what I do. Um, he is the one that my soul longs for. I love my husband, and I want to be with him. Y'all, he irritates the snot out of me sometimes, just being real. Like, sometimes I'm like, really? You know, what are you doing? But I love him, and I want to be with him, and it's important for that time to be together. Number, next thing is you need to make your home a place of peace and order. Um, I've not always been the best at this. <laughs> um, especially when my kids were really little. There were multiple times when I left my home and I called my girlfriend, Heather, and I said, look, if I die on the road, you got to get to my house because it looks like I've been robbed and I need you to clean it because if I'm dead and people coming up in my house, I want it to look good. So get there quick. And I mean, I, y'all, I'm, y'all think I'm laughing, I'm joking, but I seriously have made that phone call multiple times um, because I mean, like it matters if I'm dead, what people think, but, um, My house has sometimes been just a hot mess, Um, but I try my best to to make it a place that they want to be. I want my husband to want to come home from work. I want him and my kids to enjoy being there and to have fun there. Um, It looks, your home is going to look different from everybody. My sister and mother, I hope they don't listen to this. Um, I won't tell them about it. Um, My sister and mother deemed like an immaculate southern living home as the only way to have a home and if you didn't then you just were not worthy and had no value and you know I remember trying so hard when we first got married my kids were little and Rick's like Jeannie what are you doing you're killing yourself and I don't care about that I want to be with you I don't want you cleaning I want to be with you like I'm okay that there's toys in the floor um but it it looks different for everybody. You may be really great at that. You may be really great at meal planning. You may be really great, and those are great things. Those are good things to be good at. But not everybody is, is perfect at that. And your home of peace and order may look different than somebody else's home of peace and order. But you want your kids to want to be there, and you want them to be able to have their friends there, and you want your husband to want to come home from work and be around you. Um, you got to take care of your, your husband. If Y'all, don't laugh, but I still pick out his clothes most days. Y'all, he can't match anything. He still goes, what belt should I wear? I'm like, you're wearing black shoes. It's obvious. Black belt. Come on. Um, but I still make sure he's got, like this morning he left, and I, I ironed all his clothes and packed all his clothes, and I'm, I'm probably a little too much, but I love doing things for him. I want to make sure he has his favorite things around the house. If I know what he likes, so I want to make sure I do that. If your husband likes to come home and not have toys scattered everywhere, you know, those 10 minutes before they get in the house, it is like you are more productive in those 10 minutes than 
the rest of the day. I mean, you can fail swoop and get everything up, and it looks like, huh, she's been working really hard. But there are some days you walk in, and they're like, did you do anything today? And you're like, I tried. I couldn't. But, um, but you want to try to make that home, that place of peace, that place of order, especially if they're off working um, and, and have a stressful job, that they can come home and refresh and, and be where they, they can just relax and not have to, um, not have to stress about anything. Um, but like I said, that, that looks different for everyone. Um, so do not stress over being like your neighbor or your sister, because I will never be like my sister. She's, but y'all, she would have this immaculate house, but she was miserable. Like she didn't spend time with her kids. Her house looked like a magazine, but like, I was like, do people live here? You know, it was, it was like, what is this? And then they came to my house and they're like, definitely somebody's living here. Somebody is in this house. Um, but make that home, your home a place of peace. Okay, next one is strength of your marriage will impact your family. Your kids are watching. Your family is watching. Your neighbors watch. Everyone watches. Your extended family. Um, are you giving them a great gospel-centered view of, of what marriage is and what the gospel is? Um, are you giving them a negative view? Um, your kids are watching, and one day they're going to grow up and get married too. And are they going to have the right view of what marriage is and what it should look like? Um, they should. Marriages are not perfect. We fail miserably sometimes, but we also know that we have got to model this relationship between Christ and the church to our children, to our family, and they may not understand it, especially lost family. They don't get, why do you like being around him? Um, because I do. Um, but we've got to model that. We've got to show them what a, what a strong marriage looks like, and the stronger marriage is, I promise the happier home will be. Um, it for sure will be. Uh, the Proverbs 31 wife, I'm not going to go into great detail about her, um, but what I want us to understand is it's her character rather than her activities. Um, this woman ran a business from home. Um, she had children. She worked out. She fixed clothes. She gardened. Um, she was a hard worker. She was a good wife. Whatever that looks like for your family, okay? There are women in here that have jobs outside of the home. There are women in here that have jobs from inside of the home. There are women that have never had a job since they've gotten married. I was one of those women. I have played every role that I could think of. I have been a stay at, I worked when we first got married, stay-at-home mom, worked from home mom with a gajillion things, um, and now I'm working two days, sometimes three days at the school, and that's like throwing me for a loop. Like, oh my goodness, how do women do this? How do they work and then fix dinner? Like, this is horrible. Um, but everybody's life is going to look different. Everybody is going to have different roles that they play within their home. Every woman is. Um, but we have to look at this woman and not say, oh, well, she didn't have a job like at a business place. No, but this woman worked, and she was a businesswoman. She was savvy. So we got to look at her character rather than the things that she did. Um, the thing that I looked at is, you know, we were poor when we first got married. And so if I saw something I liked, and I couldn't buy it. Like if I watched Chip and JoJo, I can't buy anything from Magnolia, nothing. But I sure enough can make something. So I figured out how to use tools. Like I have saws, y'all. 
I, I mean, I can cut wood. I can. I have a nail gun. I, I, I figured out how to make things and create things. I bought a humongous embroidery machine. I ain't never sewed a day in my life, y'all. Never sewed a day. And here I've got this embroidery machine that's as expensive as my car. And I'm like, what do I do? So I Googled it. Y'all, Google is your friend. Figure out. Be, this woman was very, very resourceful. And she didn't even have the internet. I mean, <laughs> how'd she do it? But we do. We have the internet. So use your resources. Figure things out. Make your house a home doing those things, using the resources that she has. Be wise. Plan. Um, work outside of the home if that's what your family needs. I, by all means, if, as long as your priorities are correct and your home and children are still first, have your job. Work. There are going to be seasons that there are some women that have to do it. Um, and so make sure that you understand the list of priorities, but know I can be like this woman, and it's not about doing all these activities, but it's about having this character that she, she did. And she did all things heartily, um, as unto the Lord and not as unto man. And that's how we can be a Proverbs 31 woman. And then invest in your husband. Same thing as investing in our relationship with the Lord. If we don't invest in the time with our husband, our relationship is not going to be great. Third thing is, and I got to fly, your ministry or your children. Our, um, so the, the next one is your children. Our first ministry is to disciple and train our children, okay? What a gift motherhood is. We are full, flow, get just thrown full force into this thing that we got to keep these kids alive and, and fed and happy. And we don't have a clue what we're doing. I mean, I remember having my first and thought, what, what do I do? What do I do with him? I don't even know. Like, why is he crying? We are given this opportunity to take these tiny little humans and disciple them and love them. And that should be our focus in ministry when our kids are in our home is to do that. Um, there are going to be days that you're still in your PJs when your husband comes home and, and you're overwhelmed, but it is a gift. God loaned us these children to love, to nurture, to teach, disciple, and point to the gospel. And it's a privilege um, that we should never take lightly. Um, but they should become, come behind your husband and behind God. Um, your kids cannot be the number one priority in your life. Um, this is a weighty job. This not just keeping them alive, but their souls. I mean, it's a heavy, weighty job. Teach them to love the scripture. Um, how do you do that? Well, you model it. You love the Lord. You love his word. You put the word before them. Uh, stick it in their lunch boxes. Post it on their um, bathroom mirrors. Um, have it in your home. Have it on your walls. Uh, read it with your, them at dinner. Um, do go through the, We go through the catechism books. Um, they're phenomenal. Do different things with your children to keep the scripture in front of them and be gospel fluent in the way that you disciple them. There should constantly be fluent conversations about the gospel with your children. There are going to be things that they do, and it may not have anything to do with the scripture, but you can always find a way to pull scripture in and, and use the gospel um, to, to, to show them something, to teach them something. Um, so you got to teach them the scriptures. you got to help shape their worldview. This world is scary. And it's full of uncertainties. Um, but we can be certain that God is sovereign and in control. We need to teach our children to view everything through a biblical lens. Um, my husband came to me when our oldest was about fifth grade and said, um, you're going to homeschool Charlie next year. And I was like, do what? I don't know how to homeschool nobody. And he's like, no, I, I want you to. Sixth and seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. Middle school's tough. 
I don't want the school system, because we had our kids in public school, which I love public school. Um, he says, I don't want them shaping our kids' worldview. I want you to teach them. I want you to be the one to shape their worldview. And um, so I brought them home. They may not have learned much grammar, <laughs> but the other things I, I help teach them. So, um, but we want to teach our kids to view things through a, a biblical lens, not the way that the world does. They don't, we don't want them to view different things in their life just the way everybody else does. We want them to have a reason why they believe what they believe and understand what they believe. Teach them the truths of our faith and why they believe it. So when they go into biology in the ninth grade, they can sit in there and say, mm, mm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that in a respectful way and say, this is, is what I believe and how I can back that up. Um, you know, how do you defend your faith to an atheist that's sitting in your class? Your kids will face, face this. You will face this. You have to understand what you believe. I'm a huge fan of apologetics. Um, I love, love learning from apologists. Um, we, every summer, had an apologetic, um, apologist come to our camp um, and teach our children how to defend their faith, how to know what they believe, how to defend the scriptures, how, how do we know the scriptures are real, how to talk to someone that is a different religion, and, and how to defend why we believe what we believe is different than what they believe. Um, if you want to know a couple of great um, apologists, uh, Jonathan Morrow, he is a young guy. He, I know him personally. Actually, Hickory Grove uses his, his book um, as one of their textbooks. He is phenomenal. Um, great information, Stand to Reason has great information. If you're wanting to help shape your kids' worldview, the, these are two guys, um, Jonathan Mora and then the guys from Stand to Reason are phenomenal in helping with that. Um, and then invest in your children. Know your children, talk to them, spend time with them. Listen, listen, listen. When your kids get older and you have teenagers, my one daughter's biggest complaint to me all the time is, I don't feel like you listen to me. She talks, y'all, like just about nothing sometimes. And there's times I don't listen. But they want us to listen to them. That's how we can invest in them is to listen, listen. We have them for 18 years, 19 if they don't do so good in school. <laughs> and, and then they're either going off to college or they got to figure out, you know, life, okay? So we only have a very small amount of time, and we have to use that time wisely, we got to love our kids, have fun with them, laugh, make memories and messes and, and do all these great things because that time is going to pass. And do we look back and say, well, I had a good looking house. Or do we look back and say, oh, my goodness, the fun we had. There was paint on the floor, moon sand and every crack and crevice and Play-Doh everywhere. Can we say that? People are more important than perfection. Okay, it is more important to invest in our children than to worry about perfection. Psalm 78, um, it says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, when, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, and the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. We have to invest in our children and live the gospel out in front of them for this reason right here. The home, I could go into a huge thing on your home and how to run it, but the home is just an extension, and it could be a priority here under, under your children, but the home is an extension of your husband and your children. It goes hand in hand with your relationship with your husband and you taking care of your children. The last thing, and quickly, is the fourth one is your ministry. First thing is prioritize your time. Be wise, know how to say no. That was my biggest downfall ever in ministry 
is knowing when to say no. Don't overextend yourself. Serve and do it with a cheerful heart. Serve. We are called to serve. I was a little bit different, y'all. I drug my kids everywhere we did ministry. Um, Looking back, uh, I don't regret it one bit. There might have been nights that they were out later than they should have been, and we might have been running through Chick-fil-A, but we were like, we're going over to play dodgeball, and all these teenagers are coming, and they're like, you know, six and under, and they're like, okay. You know, they had a blast. They learned how to love people and love ministry because we loved ministry, and we (laughs) drug them everywhere we went. If we went on a youth ministry trip, guess who came? All four of them from the time that they were old enough to go. I mean, from birth. I mean, I had them all there. Um, we took them everywhere, and they saw us minister. They saw us love people. Um, we didn't put ministry before them. We took a ministry with them with us to minister. Um, but not everybody can do that. That's not ideal for every family. Um, we loved that, though. Um, did my home sometimes suffer because um, I was cooking tacos for 50 kids or playing in a dodgeball tournament or writing prayer cards for a football team. Yeah, sometimes my house was a wreck, but I loved people and I wanted my kids to see me love people. Um, And they saw what ministry really is, which is loving God and loving people um, and pointing to the gospel through all of it. Use your gifts in your local church and don't waste your talents. Sports was kind of my gift. I wish my gift was singing because I love singing, but I'm not talented at that. Um, I asked Andrew, I'm like, please tell me that mic won't ever be on when I'm singing. And he's like, no. Um, But my gift was sports. So I used that gift to coach teams and start a sports ministry at our church. And I ran a summer camp for 75 kids to learn how to play basketball. And I used the gospel in everything that I did. Um, First Peter tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serves by the strength of God that's, that by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So we've got to use those gifts. Whatever your gift is, use it. Don't waste it. Don't waste your gift. And teach your children not to waste their gift. If your child has a gift. Make them understand this is a gift. Use it in whatever capacity you want to use it, but use it. And then the last one is invest in people. If I could give anyone advice that's starting off young in ministry, it would be this, to invest, invest, invest. Know people. The best quote I ever heard was from the pastor that called us to um, our old church, and he said, people don't know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you're in ministry and that's one of your, that should be our fourth priorities, we are called to serve and be part of ministry. You've got to make sure you're investing in people, building relationships with people because they, they're not gonna care how smart you are. They're not gonna care how eloquent you are at all these great things. They don't care how good you can sing. They don't care how good you can teach. If you aren't, don't show them that you care about them, they're not gonna care about how much you know. The gospel should be fluent in all that we do and all that we're part of. And building those relationships will allow God to continually draw people to him because that's what we're doing. It's, it's not anything that we have to do with it. It's God and God alone that's going to draw those people. So build those relationships. Step out of your comfort zone. Talk to people that you don't typically talk to out in the community and build those, um, those relationships and serve people and invest in them. 
But be very protective. Do not allow the service at your church, okay, the, where you serve in ministry um, to have that highest priority above your family or above the Lord. Your marriage will suffer. Your children will suffer. Um, you've got to be very careful with a balance there. Last thing is, is this. God calls, us, calls out to us. Let go of the things of this world and you will float. You will rise. You will live. But if we fail to recognize that this world is not our ultimate destination, then we will never be able to risk letting go of the things this world prizes. We will never be able to handle the pressures of this life without a clarity of purpose and a proper sense of priorities, because this is what we've talked about all day is our proper sense of priorities. Our lives will be shaped by the pressures around us in this world rather than by the divine call that is on our lives. So we've got to make sure that we're going to let these other things go so that we can rise, we can live, and the pressures around us aren't shaping and molding us, but the proper sense of our priorities, love the Lord, love your neighbor. And then we can figure out the rest of it. It'll fall into place. Um, so the number one priority, again, is love your, the Lord your God and your relationship with him, and then your role as a helpmeet to your spouse and your children and your ministry. And then after that, flows your family your job all of those other things they're kind of like the sand and little tiny pebbles and water that flow in these are the big boulders that you put into your life and they should be the most important priorities that we have let's pray and then we can break up god i thank you for this time i thank you for this lesson lord I, most uh, most importantly thank you for your word and the power that is in it Thank you for um, opening my eyes and heart um, as I studied, Lord, and um, just understood what, what my priorities should look like, Lord, and why. I pray, Lord, that we would get our buttons in order and that we would understand that without you at the top, that the rest of everything is going to be askew. I do pray, God, that you would be with us as women, as, as mothers, as uh, wives, as um, working and being a co-worker, Lord, as, a, as daughters and friends and sisters. I pray, Lord, that um, you would help us to, to keep our priorities where they need to be, Lord, that when things get shuffled around, Lord, that we would understand um, that as long as you're our number one priority, Lord, that those things aren't going to bend and break us, Lord. I do pray that you would be with us this week as we go. I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and we would love you um, and honor you with our lives, Lord. We love you and praise you, and it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.